And slowly but surely, all of those advertising channels stopped allowing us to promote on those platforms. So Google AdWords blocked us, Facebook blocked us, Instagram blocked us, Twitter blocked us. (laughs) Welcome to Food Marketing Nerds, your weekly serving of marketing advice and industry insights with the smartest minds in the business. Here's your host, Alex Osterley. Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of Food Marketing Nerds. If it's your first time joining us, well, you picked a good one. We have Jordan Samuel, CEO of Evo Hemp on the show today, and we are talking about how he and his co-founder Ari built Evo Hemp from the ground up, managing to help underserved communities in the process. Evo Hemp is a health and wellness brand that makes a number of hemp and CBD products like nutrition bars, gummies, and supplements. And I guess it could certainly vary depending on where you're listening to this from, but here in Colorado, hemp and CBD have all but broken free from their negative stigma. Not quite the case back when Jordan and his business partner Ari first started Evo Hemp. CBD and hemp weren't just in the taboo category, but the laws were also much different. And as you'll hear more about here in a minute, Evo Hemp didn't just market around the regulations, they were also on the forefront of helping shape the laws into what they are today. Growing your business is tough enough as it is, but throw some extra red tape and regulation into the mix, and you have to get pretty innovative to accomplish what Jordan and Ari have with Evo Hemp. In this episode, you'll learn what content makes the biggest impact in converting new customers, how to navigate social media in a heavily regulated industry, what it takes to scale your demo program, and a whole lot more. There's so many great lessons and takeaways. Jordan's responses are totally unfiltered, and I think his candor is a testament to the type of company that Evo Hemp is, and the passion that they have for building something that really does make a positive difference in the world. So without further ado, let's go hang with Jordan. Jordan, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So can you tell us just a little bit about yourself, your background? My name is Jordan Samuel. I'm born and raised in Los Angeles, California. Went to University of Denver with Ari Sherman, who's the co-founder of Evo Hemp. He and I went to school together at University of Denver. And while we were learning about the benefits of hemp, we found that it actually helps farmers earn four times the income while using a third of the water and resources. And that's really what stemmed us starting the company Evo Hemp, along with learning how nutritious hemp is for you. Hemp is a perfect source of omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acids and has more digestible protein than any other vegetarian food source on the planet. How did you get interested in hemp in the first place? Well, Ari and I were in school together. We were taking a class that was teaching us about farming and hemp. And while learning that, we learned that it could give farmers four times the income compared to soy, wheat, or corn while using a third of those resources. And we just thought that was an amazing finding. And as we knew at the time, farming has become a, a big issue in the United States. The small family farm is kind of going away. Smaller farmers are struggling to stay afloat and hemp really seemed like it could be the opportunity for them to become self-sufficient and ultimately profitable. When did the idea or thought of Evo Hemp as a product pop into your mind as the, the possible solution or a way to approach this problem? While we were doing our research on hemp as a food source, we were looking at what items we could purchase uh, for us to try and taste. And really there wasn't much out there. There was hemp parts, hemp protein, hemp seed oil, but nobody was really highlighting hemp as the main ingredient in a finished product. So Ari and I thought that that was an amazing opportunity for us to create a product where hemp was going to be highlighted. And both of us growing up, we were, you know, always going on the trail, going hiking, and it kind of hit us that we should really focus on creating a nutrition bar. The idea of a nutrition bar is a lot of nutrients in a little bite. And hemp, like we were talking about earlier, has 
more uh, digestible nutrients than any other vegetarian plant source. 33% of its weight is going to be digestible protein that your body can absorb. And it also has that perfect balance of omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acids. So it's going to give you that high amount of absorbable nutrients that can be converted into energy. And so with that information, Ari and I were just like, wow, we should definitely focus on creating a bar. And at the time, you know, there was a lot of bars on the market, but raw was a big trend. And so we came out with raw organic fruit and nut bars, which was just fruits, nuts, hemp seeds, and hemp protein powder. So did that look like you guys basically formulating this recipe and testing it out yourselves in your kitchen? Yep. We looked up on YouTube how to make a fruit and nut bar, went into our kitchens, grabbed a food processor, and just started playing around. And the first product that we ever created was what is now the mango macadamia nut bar. So at what point did you guys start to realize that you actually had something that could potentially scale? You know, we definitely took a leap of faith when we started the company and we're going to mom and pop stores here locally in Colorado. And that was for about six months. So, you know, we were only in a dozen stores probably at that time. However, uh, while we were doing a demo at Lucky's Market, one of the buyers from Whole Foods saw us and wasn't familiar with our brand and said, wow, I really like this. You need to be in our stores. And so by March of the following year, we were in a Whole Foods. We still had to go store by store, <clears throat> getting our products on shelf. We were doing all the deliveries ourselves, making all the bars ourselves. But we did get into Whole Foods in this region and we were like, well, clearly there's something there. Let's uh, you know keep pr- pursuing this. And pretty close to when we signed with Whole Foods, we also got accepted into Wegmans, which is on the East Coast. And again, we were just a small local company here in Colorado. And once we landed Wegmans, we were just like, okay, this is something real. Let's get brokers, sales guys, and and try and blow this up. At what point did it become unsustainable to keep making the the product yourself? So within about a year of us making the bars, we realized that we needed to try and find an alternative solution. So when we first started, we were doing it at our friend's dad's kitchen. So he owned a catering company and we would come in after 5 p.m. That's when he was done and start making the bars. And so we would make about 700 bars a night, which we thought was a lot of product. But today... (sighs) that's only 14 cases. So, you know, very little when it comes to scaling a business, but we thought that was a ton of product. 700 bars used to take us a month or two to sell. Finally, you know, as we were ramping up with Whole Foods and with Wegmans, we started increasing our volumes, having to do two, 3,000 bars a day. And that was the point when we started working in a shared kitchen facility. So we moved into a factory in Denver that was making burritos during the day. Mames Burritos is the name of the company. And Mm -hmm. we would come in after 3 p.m. and start making the bars at night. And we scaled all the way up to making 10,000 bars a day at that facility. So we'd kind of start at 2 p.m. and go all the way till 12, 2 in the morning, something like that. And we would have the new product, do the deliveries in the morning starting at 7 a.m. And then we'd start doing demos at 11 a.m. So it was just a ongoing process where we didn't really sleep much for the first year or two, but <laughs> did a lot of brand building and we're able to finally grow to the business to the point where we could hire a co-packer and also also launch in distributors. What were some of the challenges early on marketing a hemp product specifically? One of the biggest issues that we ran into marketing a hemp product specifically is when we first started the company and before CBD really became a topic of conversation, we were able to get products advertised on Facebook, Instagram, Google, etc. And so we were able to really promote our products on these traditional platforms and, and drive sales to the retailers. However, after about two 
years of entering retail distribution, CBD started to become more of a spotlighted item. And slowly but surely, all of those advertising channels stopped allowing us to promote on those platforms. So Google AdWords blocked us, Facebook blocked us, Instagram blocked us, Twitter blocked us, (laughs) you name it, we've essentially been blocked from those advertising channels. And so that really made it difficult because essentially we were the only bar on shelf at these retailers that couldn't promote online. So we really had to start thinking of unique ideas and ways to promote our business separate to the traditional platform. So, you know, doing store demos, hiring influencers, doing local programs, and really becoming part of the local communities was super important for us to continue to grow our brand and really make a a dent in in those regions. What were some of the more effective alternatives to those digital advertising platforms that you guys got banned from? I mean, I will still always say that in-store demos is really important, especially being a bar company with just so many other competitors. Doing store demos is definitely the, the best and most successful way to get product off the shelf. However, brand recognition and community involvement is also important so that it becomes something that's very familiar with the customers and something that seems a part of the community. And so we did a lot of things like sponsoring local events, whether it was a marathon, yoga events, concerts. We really want to be a part of the local communities. So anytime we'd launch in a new region, we'd try and find all the local events and activities that we can partake in, sample our products and get them involved with our brand. So especially as a a small company, a lot of times it's founders doing the demos and going around to stores to push the product and drive people to try it. So at what point were you guys able to scale those store demos and and what did that look like? When we first started, like I mentioned in the beginning, we were doing all the demos ourselves. So I I definitely remember going 10 days in a row, two demos a day, every day, taking one day off and continuing that for probably at least three years that I was doing, you know, something of of that capacity. So lots and lots of demos. When we launched in Wegmans, I flew out there and did a a string of demos driving up and down the coast, promoting our product at their top locations. It, It was definitely a long period of time before we were able to hand that off. There's really two reasons behind that. One is when you're doing the demos yourself and internally, you can really get a lot of information from the customers about what's working, what's not working, see what changes you need to make in order to ensure that your product is actually selling off shelf when you're not there. But then additionally, demos are just extremely expensive. On the low end, they're $100 a demo. On the high end, they could be two to $250 a demo. So scaling that when you're a smaller brand is just extremely expensive. And you really need to get to you know a higher sales volume before you can afford that and ensure that that you're going to have the the sales to to make up for it. Sounds like the Whole Foods situation was a pretty serendipitous occurrence just running into the the buyer at a different demo. Did you find that buyers were at all wary of carrying hemp products, at least at the beginning when there's more of a a stigma around hemp and CBD? It was really interesting, um, especially in the food space. Most buyers were very familiar, very aware of what hemp as a food source was. Hemp has been trying to kind of break out as its own ingredient and food source for 30 plus years now. And so it's nothing new for them to see. However, like you mentioned with the, the more conventional retailers, we would often get, I don't know if my customer's ready for that. I don't know if they're going to be ready for hemp necessarily. So I've even had at Whole Foods markets times when I was demoing the product and people spit out the product, throw it on the table in front of me and say that I'm drugging them essentially. 
It was um, definitely more difficult in previous years. However, I would say that the the topic of CBD has really brought hemp to the spotlight and made it something that people were scared of to something that they're like, oh, I've heard about that. I want to try it. I want to learn more. And so bringing CBD to the spotlight over the last couple of years has made it an easier conversation and more of a interest from prospective customers. In your marketing, are you proactively trying to overcome those misperceptions about hemp and CBD? Absolutely. So one of the biggest things for us is education as a whole. We're constantly trying to educate the consumers and the buyers about hemp and CBD. So we do have a Evo Hemp Academy on our website. I believe it's five or six modules that actually goes through in depth. What are the differences between hemp and CBD? What are the things that people should look for in a high quality CBD product, such as do they have a certificate of analysis? Was it grown and produced in the US? Do they have heavy metals testing? Is it a full spectrum? Is it an isolate? Is it going to be a broad spectrum? And what do those differentiations mean? And so we really want to, you know, educate the consumer so that they can go out and make an informed decision themselves. So that, that's been one of the biggest things that we've tried to focus on is continuing the education of hemp and CBD on a long-term basis. And it was actually interesting. Like I was saying earlier, our retail buyers in the food space were very familiar with hemp, understood it and knew that space very well. However, However, as we were starting to talk with more of the supplement buyers, they were not as educated on hemp. And Ari and I, we would constantly be asked, what's hemp? Literally. And so they would be familiar with CBD, but had no knowledge or education to what hemp was. And I thought that was a really interesting disconnect that they could understand that CBD is something of interest, however, have no idea about the the plant that's actually creating that CBD. Was that ever a setback in trying to sell into a distribution channel or to work with a particular buyer? For us, honestly, it's become a, a great opportunity because we have so much knowledge and education internally and available about hemp and CBD. A lot of large retailers have gotten behind us and want to partner with us because they understand that we're going to lead in education and really educate their customers about the differences between hemp and CBD and what is uh, going into a quality product. And so it's honestly been a real benefit for us being able to educate these buyers. Are you able to see from the education education content to actually making a purchase, if that has had a positive impact on people landing on your website to actually making a purchase? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the education piece definitely does help transition customers for being prospective to actually buying. And additionally, we've spoken to a number of customers who have started purchasing our product generally from, you know, learning about CBD or hemp, but not necessarily both. And after they've purchased one item, we focus on educating them on the other products that we offer and the benefits of those different items. And oftentimes somebody that just came in for one product, they'll quickly start purchasing, you know, three to five of our products, finding about finding out about the different benefits and differences between them. You've got the CBD gummies that are launching or recently launched. If somebody was to go purchase that, how, how would you stay in connection with them to provide that additional education and say, look, if you're seeking these benefits or if you're looking for this value in a product, try these? What mediums does that typically happen? Yeah. So oftentimes we'll honestly just have Q&A after purchase saying, are there other any other items you're interested in? And so then we'll follow up with a sample of those products. We'll also provide some information uh, via email about the products that they're interested in. So that'll go into you know product usage, the benefits, as well as the differences of that product versus what they had bought in, in the past. One of my favorite things about Evo Hemp is your stance on the agriculture of, of hemp and 
how it's basically bringing the, the production manufacture of it to the States. Can you speak to that and your partnership with Native American reservations? One of the biggest missions of ours is to help rural communities here in the United States become profitable and ultimately self-sustainable through the introduction and cultivation of hemp. And so we've had the opportunity to work with half a dozen to a dozen farms here in the United States on cultivating hemp as an ingredient source, but then also cultivating CBD as well. And on the CBD side of things, we've really had an awesome opportunity where we're focused on working specifically with Native American indigenous communities in order to help them, again, become self-sustainable, move away from government subsidies, and ultimately have a profitable business where they can hire uh, you know, additional staff and really make it all on the reservation. And so to that, we've worked with the Lakota tribe in South Dakota, which is one of the most impoverished communities in the United States. They have an 85% unemployment rate with a 95% poverty rate. So it's definitely something that we take seriously and really want to help them flourish. How did these relationships start to actually have the Lakota tribe produce the hemp? We were working specifically with Alex White Plume of the Lakota tribe on that project. And it was actually a mutual friend that had reached out to us to see if it was something that we were interested in doing together. And so with that, you know, we really jumped at it. We were like, wow, I can't believe we got the opportunity to be able to do something like this. And so that was our first connection. And since then, we've also had opportunities to work with the Navajo, Blackfeet, and, you know, several other tribes across the country. And it really just started, you know, happening like a domino effect where they saw us working with the Lakotas and the benefits that were occurring from there. And, you know, that quickly allowed us to, to start working with other tribes in the United States. Prior to the interview, we were speaking and you'd mentioned that that Evo hemp is one of, or if not the only hemp product that is sourced 100% domestically? In 2014, we were lobbying it with the United States to get cultivation of hemp approved here in the United States. We got that approved. Initially, it was for test crops, but it finally did get approved for you know resale and uh, sale across the United States. And so we were the first company here to offer that on a national scale. And I believe we are still the only company that is still sourcing all of our hemp here in the United States. So you guys were directly impacting the legislation that was written around the hemp agriculture in the States. Absolutely. So we were lobbying here in Colorado uh, with Jared Polis, our governor now. Um, He was a, a senator for us at the time. And we also were lobbying in Washington, D.C., so we were very uh, vocal about what we were trying to accomplish and, uh, you know, had an awesome opportunity where we were able to go in and lobby this here in the state and in the country as well. What was that like just from a quality of life standpoint with something like a piece of legislation that usually moves extremely slow, having such an impact on your business? So it was really cool for us to, you know, just be able to go to D.C., educate different senators about the benefits of hemp overall. It's still a new ingredient here in the United States. I believe it has less than a 2% market penetration rate in the United States still today. So it's something that you know is new and requires a lot of education. But like you mentioned, it's something that's been getting passed rather quickly when you look on the scale of other legislation here in this country. And so we're really grateful for the opportunity for us to, you know, be a part of the early stages and now be able to continue to grow the economy here in the United States with hemp. So how did you guys get meetings in DC and actually get these on the senators' calendars to to hear you out? So we were able to work with the Hemp Industry Association on that. 
And they were really kind of a, the main group to help bring this together and create these group meetings. And so, you know, really thankful for the Hemp Industry Association and what they were able to accomplish. So we were just really happy to have the opportunity to be a part of their mission and, you know, ultimately be a part of the end goal. Once the legislation was passed and those legal hurdles were overcome, were there any challenges with bringing your production fully within the states? Are there any challenges that came with that that weren't necessarily as much of an issue when you're sourcing with your original producers? I would say the biggest challenge in regards to that is just a lot of these new hemp farmers were new to this space in general as far as farming and selling it as a food source. And so there was a lot of things like product testing, lock codes, and, and those types of things that we had to help educate our vendors on so that we can make sure that the product was going to meet the standards as it was going into our co-packer. So I think that was kind of the main hurdle is just teaching and educating the the newer farmers in this industry, what requirements were necessary in order to really become effective. Do you ever think uh, hemp products could ever find their way into schools? Absolutely. Hemp is like we were talking earlier, one of the best vegetarian food sources on the planet and super high in omega-6 and omega-3 fatty acids. And what that means is it's also really great for brain function. It's uh, great to help stimulate your brain, stay focused, and also just for growth in general. And so though it hasn't been a huge product in, in schools and with children, it is a great product for children to consume. We talked about the new CBD gummies that Evo Hemp is rolling out. Are there any challenges that are unique to CBD products that you hadn't experienced with just hemp products? I would say this is more targeted to the ingestible products that we have. So the food products that are infused with CBD, so our gummies, hemp protein, hemp hearts, and bars, as well as hemp seed oil, all infused with CBD. Those products, there's been a lot more hurdles than I would have uh, initially anticipated. Essentially, the FDA has not come up with legislation that fully dictates how these infused products can be sold. And so you have to be very careful about how you label the products. It needs to... I mean, it doesn't need to not say CBD, but it is recommended that it says hemp rather than CBD. So all of our infused products say hemp extract rather than CBD on it. So there's just a lot of things that you have to look out for. Additionally, you want to make sure that you have QR codes on all those items. Not every state is requiring it, but Indiana was the first to require that. And a lot of states are quickly following suit. And ultimately, to that point, there's just a a lot of regulation that's constantly changing on a state-by-state level that you have to be aware of in order to make sure that your product is going to be legal to sell and distribute in those states. So it's a little convoluted right now, and there isn't a ton of clarity. And so that just makes it more difficult to sell the product because not every retailer knows the rules of what's allowed in their stores. And because of that, a lot of retailers are just waiting for the, the larger legislation to come out. So it's on a state-by-state basis. How do you keep that all straight? So we do a lot of our own research internally, trying to stay up on the legislation and the news. We also do have our our legal team as well, who keeps us up to date about changes in regulation. So, you know, you just really have to stay on your toes and be constantly prepared to change. This category is ever-changing. Even what it was looking like a year ago is completely different than it is today. And I'm sure by the end of this year, it's going to look different again. So that's the one thing I would say is that it's ever-changing and you have to be really ready to pivot at any time. So thinking of those rules and regulations, how has that crossed over into e-commerce? And how how have you managed that? So with e-commerce, it's kind of interesting. You're allowed to label the products as CBD. There's nothing stopping that. Again, you can't really 
promote or advertise those products to your website. So like currently right now, we can't use Facebook. We can't use Instagram. We can't use uh, Google AdWords. And we have to find essentially alternative platforms and channels where we can get these ads authorized to be used. But again, you know, social media using our influencers, and really just building our brand for organic traffic, that's been our biggest driver of sales. So organic social has had a a positive impact for you guys? Absolutely. Um, One of the biggest ways that we've overcome the hurdles is we just have created tons and tons of content, whether that's blogs, posts, videos. We have tried to push out, you know, as much content and education as, as possible. And some of these videos get shared, you know, half a million, million times and really helps again, bring that awareness to our brand. Is there a platform that sticks out in your mind as being the most effective for you guys? I would say we definitely have the most engagement on our Instagram platform, but Instagram, Facebook, they've both been great. LinkedIn has been phenomenal for us as well. LinkedIn does not stop us from doing any uh, posts or promotions. So that's been a great way for us to, to generate awareness about our brand. So what's next for Evo Hemp? So we have some new products in the works, uh, CBD and non-CBD, some new bars as well. So we probably will be launching, I would say about probably another three to five products this year. Right now, the biggest item, like you mentioned, we just launched our gummies online and at uh, select retailers. And then we also recently launched our new keto bars, which are currently an exclusive at Whole Foods Market. And those are really great. Those are seed-based, our first product that's not a a nut-based. And uh, we use a combination of sunflower and pumpkin seeds. The only nut in that would be coconut. We've got a couple questions to wrap up. We ask each of our guests. Are there any books that you've read that have had an impact on the way that you think about business or marketing? Yeah, I would say The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek is a really great book that people should listen to. It really, in my mind, just shifts your focus in your strategy to to think about a company in the long term. It's not about you know your year-over-year sales which you quickly get sucked into, especially if you have investors, but it is about how you're going to create a legacy brand that's going to last for years to come. And The Infinite Game is a phenomenal book that kind of points you in that direction. So if you could go back in time as you're just starting Evo Hemp or just graduating college, if you could go back and give yourself a piece of advice, whether marketing or or career focused, what would it be? So the one thing that I did not realize entering the food space is just how capital intensive this industry truly is. And so if I were to go back in time, I would tell myself to, to really right off the bat, get great accountants ready to go and get somebody on your team that's uh, specialized in fundraising because that will essentially never stop from the second you start. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all your insights and your wisdom. I think anybody who is interested in founding any type of food company can learn so much from you and from what Evo Hemp is doing. What's the best place for people to go and check out Evo Hemp and, and see what you guys have going on? EvoHemp.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. And we're at Evo Hemp for any of those platforms. And if you are looking to get into this space at all, you know, Ari and I are starting to do some consulting services as well. Jordan Samuel, everybody. Thank you so much for coming on. And we had an absolute blast getting to learn more about you and the company and can't wait to see what you guys roll out with next. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. And I really appreciate being on. And that is going to do it for this week's episode, folks. Hope you learned something today from Jordan's story and maybe got an idea or two that you can apply and level up your own marketing game. If you're liking what you're hearing, it would be hugely helpful and greatly appreciated if you could take a second and leave us a review on whatever podcast app you're using now. Thanks again for tuning in and until next week.
Food Marketing Nerds is a production of Blue Bear Creative. For interview transcripts and other downloadable resources, head to foodmarketingnerds.com. 